Well, good morning. I'm Joel. It's good to be with you today. And I want to first, before I jump into anything, because we're in this series called Outpost, um, you saw in a video, if you were here at the very beginning, um, inviting you to join us in fasting and in prayer later this week. Uh, Every year we have an elder retreat. Uh, This year it's right here in this very place. Um, But from noon on Thursday until dinner on Friday, we're inviting you to join us. If you've never fasted before, um, again, go to the guest services. They've got a fasting guide for you, and it lets you understand about how you fast and what what it can do for you. Um, And also there's a prayer guide. Many of you hopefully already have this. If not, grab it. Uh, This is a prayer guide that we were able to compile Uh, I guess a year or so ago, and we've given it out to other churches, everything. We'll put the logo on it for them. So whatever you guys need, whatever other churches need, we want to help as long as it's moving the kingdom of God forward. So grab those things as you so desire. Um, It's probably been about 16 years. Um, I was standing in a kitchen of a parsonage in Connecticut, and I got a phone call on my cell phone. And on that phone call was a guy by the the name of Blake, Blake Stevens. Uh, He's been here in Michigan several times to come and to visit. uh, And he calls me up at the time. I had never met him before. He was living in Texas. He's from Texas. He had lived in Connecticut, New York City area before for work, moved back to Texas where he says all Christians live. And then he calls me, he's like, hey, I'm being asked to move back to that area. I don't know what to do. It was hard to be in a community of faith there. Um, And I just wanted to call somebody. Back then, I was at a church where the emergency number, the office number, the email, everything went to me personally. Um, And so I got a phone call as I was cooking pork chops. And I don't know why I was cooking pork chops because I don't really like pork chops. I, get, I don't know if they're like on sale at the grocery store or free, something like that, um, because I'm usually the red meat guy, but here I am cooking pork chops, and I get a phone call, and we just start talking about what it would look like for him to move to Connecticut again, to that area, and to be able to work. Uh, at the time, he was with PwC, Price, Waterhouse Coopers, uh, accounting agency, and so here he is, and he's, we're having these conversations, talking about work, and having these discussions, and before I know it, I'm just praying for him. I'm praying for his family, and his, I'm learning about his wife, Lisa, um, and I'm just praying that God would give him wisdom and discernment and insight, and literally, I'm 29, 30 years old when I'm having this phone call, and as a result of that, uh, the next Sunday, I look up, and I see this guy coming at me, and I go, Blake! I just knew it was him, and it was Blake. He had come to visit the church and to see if that was a place he could move to because it wasn't just about his job. It was about being in relationship. It was about being in a faith community. And so here he is um, because in the Northeast, if you can have 200 in a church, that's like a mega church, okay? Like this would just blow, like this would be one, like definitely larger than probably about any other church in the area outside of about four or five. And so uh, as you look at that, all of a sudden I'm having this relationship and we jump into having a healthy spiritual relationship. We started with that right away, praying for each other, knowing about each other's kids. We haven't lived in the same state for a decade and yet we are closer than we've ever been before. Why? Because we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that right there is something that the, the vast majority of people, let me go ahead and just acknowledge this about all of us, the majority of us are missing out on one of the greatest blessings of God. And that's relationships that are truly built on Christ, 
excuse me, grounded in the word of God that allow us to be able to move forward in a way that we've never comprehended before. Because too many of us today would rather say, hey, I've got it all together. I'm acting a certain way. I'm not going to really share my life with anybody else. And we don't really have deep relationships. That's the, the vast majority of people even in the church today. The average man today it used to be different. It used to be the average they had three people they thought they were good friends with. Now, on average, it's below one, which means a lot of people don't feel that they have any true friends in their life, true relationships that's grounding them in the Word of God that they're praying with, that they're living life with, that they're growing with. And yet we get to be outposts, and one of the greatest ways we can be an outpost is looking at how we need to be in relationship with, yes, the people in our own homes, but also the people at work, school. How are we actually living in relation, biblical relationships with one another? And as I'm going to be preaching about relationships, obviously today, um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you some of you are going to be uncomfortable with this because I've spoken to numerous groups before. And when I start speaking about what relationships should actually be, I've had people get upset with me. I've had people say, I'm never going to be in that type of relationship. I'm not, why? Because we don't want accountability. Isn't that part of it? Sharpening and encouraging one another. We don't want accountability. We don't want anybody to tell us that we've ever done anything wrong. If they tell us that we've done something wrong, we say, mind your own business, and we typically step out of that relationship. Here at Chapel Point, one of the greatest ways that we live in those relationships are through our small groups. That's why we encourage everybody to get in a small group, right? Because you're gonna, you will make time for whatever's most important for you. You will make time for whatever's most important for you. And what many of us don't recognize is we are missing out on one of the greatest blessings that God has for us. Like I called Blake this morning, uh, my buddy, and I, was, I thought about this. I was like, I need to share this story. And it was 8.32, 8.33, and I was behind the stage. Music is already playing. Uh, and I called him. I was like, hey, can I share a story um, about us and our friendship? He goes, dude, do I have a choice? Um, and I said, of course you do. And we're talking and, um, and he said, man, you know, you can share whatever. I trust you with everything I have. And right then in the moment, I didn't even ask. He just starts praying over me. He's like, God, anoint Joel and his words today. And he's just praying over me and he's encouraging me. And then I go, I had to interrupt him. I was like, dude, I got to go. Um, like, like you can hear the music and he's like okay 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 and then he starts praying again I'm like no I gotta go and that but that's being that's living in biblical relationship with each other that's what it is to be in a biblical relationship with each other and so one of the things we're going to have to ask today is how many of you like rhetorically speaking okay don't really answer but how many of you have a a relationship with somebody else in which you are always praying for each other and lifting each other up right there in the moment that you know that as soon as you see voicemail, like I get a voicemail from my brother Blake, and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, Blake, and I'm expecting a prayer. Because I'll, I'll be like, I'll press play, and I say, hey, God just blessed Joel today. I don't know what he's going through, but obviously he doesn't think I'm important because he didn't answer my call. So, but, like, that's what it is. It's that kind of relationship. I mean, he's a sinner, don't get me wrong. So, like, um, we're praying and we have that time, but I get excited because I'm like, Blake's calling me. And I know I might get a prayer on the other end. And I'll take the prayer. 
How many of you are allowing yourself to live in that type of relationship, to, to allow your, your family to even live in that type of relationship? So that's what I get to speak about today because many of us, we don't live in it. And to be honest, many of you are scared of it. Many of you are scared of it. Every single one of us, by the way, is insecure. Every single one of us. And we think, I, there's a lady, um, oh, I said I wasn't going to share the story. I have permission to. I'm not going to say a name. But after the first service, um, a lady walked up to me and she says, um, Pastor, um, I don't, I'm afraid to live. I want to make sure I get it right. I'm afraid to live in the type of relationship that you're preaching about because I'm afraid that they'll no longer want to be in relationship with me. And I looked at her and I said, one, I said one phrase. I said, that will not happen to you at Chapel Point. So I want to tell you a story, uh, something I've preached numerous times. And I'm going to preach it in a different way today. Uh, I want you to understand the relationship that is happening in John chapter 4. Will you turn with me to John chapter 4? John chapter 4 is a woman at the well of Samaria. Um, and again, I want, I'm going to tell you stuff today. I'm not going to unpack the whole thing. I've got too many other things to talk to you about. Um, I preached it before. You can go even a year ago. I preached it and you can listen to it where I'm really walking more verse by verse through it. But relationally speaking today, I want you to be able to learn from it. Uh, in doing such, I want to pull up a map for us so that you can see what is really taking place here. So you have Jerusalem. Right outside of Jerusalem, this entire area is where Jesus spent not all but the bulk of his life, of course. Uh, this is the Dead Sea. I pointed that out a week ago. If you don't know, if you're new here, I love maps, all right, because I think it helps give context for everything that we're seeing and doing. Um, you see Sakar. You're going to see this in John chapter 4. Jesus went to an area, a town in Samaria called Sakar. That's where Jacob's well was, who was a prophet. This was a big thing for them. So he's drawing water from that well. But he's in an area right now called Samaria. That's important because literally seven, 722 years before the time of Jesus Christ, the uh, Assyrians captured Samaria. They sent all of the, the, the Jewish people out of any kind of substance. They brought others in. And they began intermarrying and they also adhere to some of the Jewish religion but not all of the Jewish religion and it created this giant hostility um, so when in time after the Babylonian exiles um, Jews began returning to that area and then they see all these people who had intermarried which for them had made them um, impure um, they would say, even religiously speaking, somewhat of a half-breed, and it created a lot of resentment, uh, politically speaking, racially speaking, um, religiously speaking. All of this tension has been mounting up as to a point where Jews would not even walk through the area of Samaria that you see here. Like they would walk, if they're coming way over here, they would walk all the way around before they ever walked through Samaria. You just wouldn't do it. So what you're going, you need to understand this because of the relational part. Because some of you are going, there's, some of us have automatically determined who we can and cannot be friends with. All right? Who we can and cannot be in a relationship with. Let me also go ahead and say this. The, the, the vast majority of people will end up, as you grow up, think back to your childhood. And as you're growing up and as you're spending time with people, 
typically, normally, you, you hang out with people who are already somewhat similar to you. Similar interest, right? Similar upbringing, similar schooling. You hang out with people who are somewhat already similar to you. Now, there's a lot of good in that because there's comfort in that. There's like-mindedness that can come in that, a like-heartedness that can come with that. But the struggle with that is often if they're already similar to you, that means that sometimes they are always already in agreement with you about your understanding of relationships and life, but they're not always necessarily moving you forward. And so then you end up in a relationship with someone who's moving you forward and challenging in your relationship, and it can feel awkward, and you can be like, hold up. Like, don't be... don't be stepping on my toes. I, I mean, that's truly our posture because we grow up with people and we're like, okay, I'll hang out with them because they're already like me. We, we assume that someone who has a, a different understanding than us is wrong often. And so we don't go and grow in that relationship. We don't experience the transformation that God is wanting us to have in that relationship. So this is important when it comes to Jesus, to primarily Jews. They're not walking into Samaria at all. Jesus, you're going to see in this passage, he walks into Samaria with his disciples. He goes to Jacob's well. He's thirsty. He ends up sending his disciples into town, Sakar, to get some food because he's also hungry. And so he's Moving forward and such, there's a woman comes to the well, a Samaritan woman, and then he says, hey, can I have something to drink? Which would not happen. Like, it's like, well, this Samaritan woman's got to be like, what are you doing talking to me? One, you're in Samaria. What are you thinking? Two, you're speaking to me. There's something really wrong here. So John chapter four, here we go. I want to run through some of this very, very quickly. John chapter 4, because the relational part is so important. Jesus learned a lot of people um, uh, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples, even though he wasn't actually baptizing. He leaves Judea, and he departs for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria to Sychar. They uh, passed the, the field uh, that was there for Jacob. That's Jacob's well. He's weary. He's tired. He gets there about the sixth hour, which would have been noon. So, you have a basis, you have an understanding for some of the tension here. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and says, uh, Jesus says to her, give me drink. We already know that his disciples had been sent into the city nearby. Um, The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She is very nicely and politely saying, what are you doing? You see, when you start speaking to someone, did you know that you're starting to have a relationship with them? And she's sitting here going, why are you, why, why are you doing this? <laughs> you're, not, you're not supposed to be doing this right now. Keeps going. It says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus ends up answering her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Now again, there, there's other uh, times that I've preached on this passage that really dives into this. But Jesus is stepping in and really starts to address uh, the differences in Samaritans and in Jews and knowing what it is to be in relationship. You've got Jesus, Son of God, who's about to paint for you a picture of what it is to be in a healthy relationship with other people and how God can use you as an outpost of his kingdom so that others have a better understanding of what it is to know Jesus Christ. That's what it is here. Because literally it says in some translations that Jews, um, 
this woman is responding and says, we don't use these things together. Like, it would have been like, hey, share with me the water bottle you have. Let's share together. And she's going, no, we don't do that. We, we don't do that with each other. So this woman, not fully understanding everything, says in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father of Jacob? That's why Jacob's well, and everything is happening. He's a prophet. And so them knowing the significance of prophets, she's asking him, wow, what's taking place here? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me the, this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, right away, you got a Jew and you got a Samaritan. And this is what we're going to learn. If you're living in healthy relationships today, and I know, at least by statistics, so let's assume Chapel Point is the average stat that we have about people, about men, about women living, living in a relationship. I know you're not average, but let's just assume you are. If we are, that means the vast majority of you aren't actually living in a biblical relationship with anyone else that where you are naturally encouraging each other, praying for one another and sharing life together. And yet, even with the Samaritan woman, that's what we see Jesus doing. In fact, one of the very first things that you see about a healthy relationship as an outpost of the kingdom of God is that you're going to see that if you're in a godly relationships, that godly relationships reveal, they reveal our struggles. Godly relationships reveals our struggles that we have in life. That's what Jesus is doing Listen to this. All of a sudden, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Really? Yeah. Go call your husband. So right away, He saw an opportunity to to really, he just dove in. Isn't it funny how shallow we can be in relationships? When here's a model of a Jew with a Samaritan, son of God, demonstrating what it is to be in relationship with each other, and right away it reveals her struggles. Her struggle is she was sexually immoral. And he's calling it out, hey, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. No, no, I know Listen, you've had five husbands. The guy you're with now isn't even a husband. And she's like, oh, man, this guy, one, he's not from here. He's asking for my water, and he knows everything about me. You must be a prophet. But the relationship that we see here between a Jew and a Samaritan is, man, he knew her struggles right away. And and I think this is important. If you're in genuine relationship with each other, it means you share your struggles. Now, he didn't, he didn't call it out rudely. He wasn't mean, but he did call it out. Right? You can't tell me you're living in a biblical, godly relationship with someone else, and you're not making sure that they're being held accountable to the word of God. What does sin do with us and God? Sin does what with us and God? It what? It separates us from God. 
And so don't even tell me that you love someone else in the name of Jesus Christ and not point out to them sin that they have in their life that's separating them from God. You can't do it. Hey, I love you in the name of Jesus, and I know that right now I see them doing things in their own life that's separating them from God, but that's fine. Grow up, man. Like, come on. You can't tell me you love others in the name of Christ and ignore the sin that they're living in, not wanting them to live in a more full communion and relationship with the Almighty Heavenly Father. And Jesus, so he points it out respectfully, but he still addresses it. Jesus knew the importance, if you're going to be in relationship, he knew the importance of revealing sin to the sinner, but also in a loving way. So here's what also happens in this. You would think Samaritan woman, Jewish male, right? All of a sudden he says, hey, by the way, I know that your real problem is sexual immorality. (laughs) You're sexually impure, like it's bad. It's off the chain. But guess what? She also learned, you would think in that situation that Jesus would then step away. Jesus doesn't do that. And this, that's, this is what's so good. Is that Jesus Christ calls us out because here's what it is to live in relationships. It means that if you're going to be in a godly relationship, you're going to share in life struggles together. But guess what? You don't leave each other. He didn't leave. Isn't that awesome? Right? A lot of times if somebody wants to call out something in a relationship, they, they may say, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm out. No, Jesus says, hey, listen, this is something that's a problem in your life, and I know that this is about you, but I'm still here. That is called the grace of God. That's called the mercy of God, and it's setting a tone for the loving relationships that we are to have with one another. So right away, here's this relational point. Now, again, I know I'm not covering everything about this passage, but I'm wanting to focus on the relational aspects. Here's a Jew, here's a Samaritan, this Jew who is pointing out that she's sexually impure. He doesn't go anywhere, though. He sticks around. She recognizes, oh, I guess you're a prophet. Yeah, go figure. And then in verse 20, she goes, it says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, right now, um, one of the things that you're going to recognize um, is that a Samaritan woman would have worshipped Mount Gerizim, um, and that's where they would have worshipped. They weren't allowed to go. They kept hearing about Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem. You're going to go worship there, go worship there. Well, a Samaritan couldn't go worship there. So she's going, hang on. Like, what do I do with go worship there, go worship there, and... Why is, I I can't go worship there. What am I to make of this? And then he, later on, he says, listen, you need to know this. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I, I who speak to you am he. Jesus just gets to the heart of the issue. Right? And sometimes, if you want to be an outpost of the kingdom of God in your relationship, sometimes you need to get right to the issue and you need to, you need to ask yourself, are you entering into healthy relationships with one another? Here's Jesus revealing her sin. She understands that he must be a prophet. She brings up this question that she's had for a long time. And 
he addresses it. Those who worship God, if you really want to know what it is, they're going to surrender their man-made traditions of having to worship a particular place. And they're going, to wor- they're going to recognize that true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And that the Messiah has arrived and I am he. So another thing is that, listen, godly relationships, they share real life together. Not only the struggles, but they share real life together. And there are too many people not willing to enter into those relationships. Are you willing to enter into those relationships? Listen, I've made so many mistakes in my life. I don't mind sharing them because I have this huge thing called grace. I've made mistakes. I've messed up in relationships. And sometimes I haven't spoken in the best way. And I've made mistakes. But I have this thing called grace. I'd rather you let, let you be aware of it so that we can live life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is one of the greatest testimonies that we can have for people who don't truly know who Jesus Christ is. And so Jesus just jumps to it. And we miss, we're missing out on what it is to be in godly relationship with each other. Again, that's why we, keep, we push small groups so hard. We want to be in a relationship. You can't show the average person, right? They say the average person today shows up, they, worse, they consider themselves active if they show up 1.6 times a month. That's the average for worship. You can't be in a healthy relationship with someone if you see them less than two times a month. Can't happen. I want to know all the dirt in your life so that I can pray for you in the midst of it and let you recognize that you can be, re- you can be redeemed and renewed and restored. Not to make you live in it, to let you know that you can be cleansed from it. That's good news. We want to live in relationship with you, but the vast majority of people don't want to be confronted, don't want to be held accountable, don't want to be sharpened, don't want to be in, even in really, we want to be encouraged and we want to be told how awesome we are, but we don't want anybody to really know who we are. And so what would it look like for a group of thousands of people to step forward into a community and truly start to want to live in relationship, authentic, genuine relationship with each other? Right, we, we know, even a lot of people, we know a lot of the ones we hit here at this church, all right? We do, we do some surveys, we, we, we kind of have a vibe for who comes to this church and who doesn't come to this church. And people, if, you, if, if they don't want to be pressed on or challenged or sharpened at all, they typically don't hang out here very long. Like the one thing I don't struggle with is being direct, Amen. And some people are like, how dare he? How dare, right? But it's Bible. I'm going Bible here, guys. We need to be held accountable. We need to be sharpened. We need to be encouraged. We are called to live in relationship with each other. It's beautiful. I have so many men in my life who will fight for me. Who will truly fight for me. I'm looking at some of them right now. I know I can make a phone call. And they are there for me. I have no doubt about it whatsoever. 
And yet many of us are missing out on one of the greatest blessings that God has for us. And we can represent Jesus Christ by being an outpost in the way that we live in our relationships. We, we need to stop predetermining what a relationship can be and we need to look to Scripture. So I, I want to just very briefly... I want to speak about really as a whole. When we look at the Gospels, even outside the Gospels, I think about how the New Testament church functioned in the book of Acts. Um, I want to speak very, very quickly about um, how we can meet the needs of others and the needs that we need to be meeting um, in others uh, and with others so that we can have healthy relationships. Right, Because we know that outposts, that's what they do. If you're to be an outpost in your relationships, outposts meet the needs of those around them for the purpose of sharing Jesus. So we meet needs in others so that we can share Jesus. And there to, I, just, I almost I want to sit down on the front and make sure you hear. We know that the, the vast majority, if we represent the average, the vast majority of us are not willing to step into true, authentic relationship with each other. And when we are challenged, we tell people that they have crossed the line. We walk outside of those relationships, and we would choose to rather live alone. That's what you're choosing, rather than live in a true, biblical, intimate relationship. There are too many of us who don't think we have anything wrong. If you don't think that you have anything wrong in your life, you're arrogant and proud, which is the same thing as crazy insecure. I told you, I don't struggle with being direct. But we know these are, these are truths. So here's what we end up getting to do. We get to meet the needs of others. That's what we do. We meet the needs of others, but we do so for the purpose of sharing Jesus. So the three needs we get to meet. One, we get to meet physical needs. We see this over and over again. We see in Acts chapter 3 and 4 how the early church was concerned about the people, people inside the church, people outside the church. We see how in the book of Acts that they even started assigning deacons. Why? To start caring for all of these needs. That's the role, a true biblical role of deacon is to care. That's one who serves, that's diaconia, and is literally to meet the needs of the people around them. Right? That's why our deacons, right, we're encouraging them. We have 48 deacon couples in this church. And we are assigning people as you allow us to. We want to assign you to a deacon. They call you. Our deacons don't call you no matter what tradition you grew up. They don't call you for money or anything else. They call to say, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? What's going on in your life? That's why they're here is to serve you. You'd be amazed at how many people won't even take a call from a deacon because why? You don't want to be known. Well, guess what? You are known by God and we want to know you so that we can live life with you and fight with you. If you're in community in this church, we will fight for you. Hear me say it. We want, we want the blessing and the gift of fighting and living life with you and serving you and caring for you. And we see that in the book of Acts. That's why they're assigning all these deacons to go care for them so that elders could oversee to make sure everything was staying biblical and focused in theology and doctrine. But they had all these deacons now being assigned to go out to care for the people around them. And they were meeting physical needs. They were feeding the hungry and they were helping people and they were providing drink for people and caring for the, the, the widows and the hurting and the painful. 
right? Even in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 32 through 39, you have Jesus feeding the 4,000. And even then, he's like, hey, go find food for all these people. Why was he wanting to meet their physical need? It says, because he had compassion on them. It's Matthew 15, 32 through 39. He was compassionate toward them, wanting to meet their physical needs. And, you know, I remember I, I worked, um, some of you may know, I worked for the, uh, with the homeless downtown Atlanta for over a year. This was a long time ago, 25 years ago. Oh, my goodness. And um, I was able to do that, and I learned that, you know, if you're, if you're meeting a physical need, the whole purpose of it is to be able to share a spiritual need. And, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll see homeless people downtown or something, and they're like, hey, can I have, you got a few dollars, and sometimes I give them the money. It just fills on the prompting of Holy Spirit. And some, I've been with some people like, why would you, you know they're just going to go spend that on alcohol. One, you don't know that. You'd be shocked by the number of homeless people I know. They actually want something to eat. I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm just saying they actually want something to eat. But now I want to make it more spiritual. And so now what I'm trying to do, don't do it every time. Don't judge me too harshly. But what I say is, hey, here's this, but you got to give me your name, and how can I pray for you? I want to offer a prayer for him. You meet physical needs so that you can share the greater spiritual need. And there are too many people today who we've just made everything about being nice, right? That's why I say all the time, I'm not here to raise all of my kids to be nice. I'm here to raise them to be godly. Giving somebody something to eat is being nice. Telling them about Jesus is being godly. Too many churches have made their church about social justice issues and about being nice. And those are good things. That's being nice. But we can't remove the Jesus from it. Listen, every single person that Jesus fed physically, guess what they were later? Hungry again. But the ones who drank from him for eternity, they were never thirsty again. You see the difference. And are we living in those relationships? Will you let others live in those types of relationships that are meeting physical needs? James, um, James chapter 2, right, if you would just jot this down very quickly. James 2, 15 through 16 speaks about it. James 2, 15 through 16 talks about how, hey, you know, someone else can be hungry around you. But if you just say, hey, I hope you're not hungry anymore, but you do nothing for them, what good is it? I'd rather help someone who's hungry, give them some money or whatever, and they be held accountable for how they spend it, than if God speaks to me and says, help them out, and, not, and then me being held accountable to not helping them out. So if you're an outpost in relationships, even if there's a weird thing like, hey, here's a Jew and a Samaritan, right? You're meeting physical needs, but you're also meeting emotional needs. We know the stats, we know the numbers, that today there's more anxiety, depression, there's higher suicide rates, all of that is happening right now. And we want to be in healthy relationship with you, biblical outpost relationship with you, so that we can walk with you. So that we can remind you that you are a child of God and that we want to, we want to walk the messy with you. We want to walk the messy with you. So you meet physical needs, you meet emotional needs, and then lastly, it's all about meeting spiritual needs. It's all about meeting spiritual needs. That's what Jesus did. He met physical needs and emotional needs in order to meet the spiritual need. I want to remind you that meeting the temporary needs of others, it allows us to tell them of their eternal need for God. And what we are seeing more and more is some people want to tell you uh, they want to step into a relationship enough to tell you what other people have done wrong to them, but they never want to acknowledge their own wrong. 
on their own sin and move past it. That's not a healthy relationship. That's not a healthy relationship. I think the question we really need to be asking ourselves is, are we willing to truly live an intimate relationship with each other? Where we're missing out on truly one of the greatest blessings from God. We're walking around, maybe, you know, football, carrying the ball, they're going to stiff arm someone. And they're going, you know, you're walking around like this and you're going, why isn't anybody close to me? Stop stiff-arming everybody. And you're afraid to share all of your sin and all your mistakes, but I'm just telling you, if you tell me your sin and your mistakes, I'm going to go, oh man, I've messed up too, but guess what? God has enough grace to cover it all. Isn't that good? Like we're going to be, we're going to be, right? It's the Jew and the Samaritan. We're going to say, hey, yeah, there's some things I see in your life. But I want to help you grow closer to God, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to tell you how. Like, here's how messed up you are. You're sexually impure. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't even your husband. Um, Jesus, he did that. But then he said, but I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And he says, I'm the living water. Drink from me. Will you live in relationship with us and with those around you? Like today, for a lot, it needs the, today needs to be that moment where we're, we're making a decision. Where I, will I start to live differently? Um, if you are a male, will you stand up? Men, stand up. Anybody? I don't care how old you are. Some of you are boys, and you're going, "I'm not a man." Right now, you are. This is your time. All right. So much of what other people are learning about relationships will begin and end with you. So I tell my kids, hey guys, I'm sorry I messed up. This is how I messed up. So I'm asking if you guys will actually enter into an authentic relationship that actually has eternal consequence. And I'm giving every other man in this room permission to hold every other man in this room accountable. I, I can't really do that, but that's cool. Hold their feet to the fire because you're cheating them if you don't. Ladies, would you stand with them? And as they stand up, I want to address this. Let me address marriages and these ladies real quick. First marriages, then the ladies. Um, I've said it before. I'm going to continually say it again. Men and women, but primarily women. Um, I'm going to say it to all of you. Stop speaking poorly of your spouse to anybody else. Period. I've never seen a relationship get better because one of them decided to speak poorly of the other to everybody else.
ladies, and a society that tells you that you have to have everything already aligned and organized and perfect and everything else, let me go ahead and speak now. You do not, God loves you anyway. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to come before Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to come before Jesus. Men and women both. You don't have to act as though you've never made a mistake. You just have to come before Jesus and live in a relationship together. Will you do that with us? It's time to man up when it comes to relationships and know that we are loved by God. Lord, I come before you in the name of Jesus and I ask that you would strengthen the relationships that already exist that are godly in this room, but also that you would give us all the courage to actually begin to live in a biblical godly relationship as outpost of the kingdom of God, that you would refresh the hearts of the people in this place to let them know that some of them, maybe they're scared to actually share their real life with other people. And they don't know how to do it. They're scared to do it. But let them find confidence and let them know that in this place, there is freedom in doing such. Because we're not going anywhere. Because we are your children. We are loved by you. And we give you thanks that we get to live life with you. In the name of Christ, amen.